So it's okay if you talk through the intro. We've done it before. <laughs> we do it all the time. So that intro, uh, you don't know this because you're not a long-time listener of the show. There's only three total, so it's all, it's all yeah, good. You're solid. <laughs> um, is that Bill is, one? No. Well, I think he is, yeah, but, but only on his. <laughs> so we've decided because his, his episode is the most listened to episode of the show, that he's just listened to it like 67 times. That makes sense. <clears throat> I think that's how, that's how it got such a high number because he's... It is the highest listened episode. I wonder, Still I to date, yeah. Um, though that first that little part of the intro is Kyle playing the recorder. It's a, he's showing off his skills. They're nice. mad skills. Yeah, he was a uh, regional champion recorder player when he was twelve. When I was in third grade, <laughs> and I gave me the recorder. I got a ribbon. Yeah. So, um, welcome everybody. Welcome to uh, Kyle and Like the Conversation. It's. Saturday morning, bright and early. Not really bright and early. That won't be till after Sunday. Then it'll be bright and early at seven o'clock. Right? Is it still? It's tomorrow. Yeah. It'll be. It'll be bright. Yeah. It should ish. be. Yeah. Should be. Um, daily savings song is fucking dumb. Do you guys know why we do it? Either of you? No. It is because of uh, workers. They were trying to extend, uh, make it so workers would have daylight. So that. Way, way back. Back before artificial light. Correct. <laughs> just about, yeah. And we still have it because it's just what we do, I guess. But it's only in like certain areas, right? No, I think it's is it it universal throughout the United States. No, no. Arizona not. does not have daylight saving. Really? Yep. So what the hell do you do with the Arizona line? <laughs> I mean, when you're, that's got to be a little off. I kind of like not having it. So. I would love it. Yeah, same. I would love it. I would just like, so let's see if you live like what's a what's a border city in Arizona. Um, I don't know. Let's just say that you live in a border city, but you work across the state line, just so you can get done an hour earlier for work. <laughs> you got to go in an hour earlier. Yeah, but that's I suppose your caveat. You got to work out of state too, but. I don't know. I just think it's about the dumbest thing, and we could get rid of it. I mean, I think if you did a national poll, I bet it would have like at least eighty percent of people support that, to get rid yeah. of it for sure, dude. Yeah, there's in fact no. you could get rid of it, and most people wouldn't even remember it was a thing. The only reason I remember is because it's on my calendar on my phone. Yeah, that's it. And people, well, everybody bitches about it when it comes out. Thankfully, my phone automatically updates. Yeah, the time. I know. Right now, I'm checking to see how many states actually do. He's looking to replace Bill. I know. You're, what the hell? You're, this uh, is you're, gold. <laughs> you want to come back next Saturday? There. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to talk about my dying dog, though. <laughs> well, if you did, we lose people, so we can't be doing that. Bill already ruined it for everybody once. Ike, you're going to introduce your guest? I suppose. Right. Uh Mr. Mark, Mark Hamden, Gross. I don't know which one it is. I'm not gonna <laughs> you don't even need to do the soundboard. I've got it. That would be funny, though, if you put on some wah, wah, wah. I don't Shit. remember which what, one it is. Hit it. Hit the, which one? <laughs> oh, it is that one. <laughs> it is that one. There it is. There it is, yes. Um, I have known Mark Hamden Krause for how many years have we known each other? Um, I didn't meet you when I first came to Baraboo. I want to say when you came back from Lodi, when did you come back from Lodi? It was five years ago. Yeah, so it's probably about the time I met you because, well, no, had it been before that because we've been playing fantasy football together for longer than that. And in the wine bar, too. Yeah, in the wine bar. So, so how, geez, how long has it been? Eight or nine years, I think. Yeah. I think that's more accurate. Yeah. 
Well, I didn't know the legend of HK before that, but I'm sure as hell glad that I do. Um, my my daughter has expressed to me a number of times how you are the absolute greatest teacher she's ever had, and I hear nothing but amazing words from you uh, or for you um, from any of the students I've ever run into in or outside of school. And we were just talking yesterday, or last yesterday, last week. I listened to it yesterday. We were talking last week, and I said, how, how cool would it be to have a teacher on here? Because we talk so much about kids and school and them growing up in this day and age and the struggles they face. And and uh, it's just like, you know, what's different now compared to the way it was maybe 20 years ago? And, and uh, you know, what can we do better? You know, those are the things that I really care about. Because I care about our community. We talk about it all the time. Mm-hmm. And we obviously are very invested in the youth in our community. So that was a, a big impetus for getting you here. So welcome. Um, maybe tell us a little bit about your history and who you are. Sure. <clears throat> Excuse me. I uh, moved from the East Coast, um, New Hampshire to be more specific. He's a Patriots fan. Yes, oh. I am a huge <laughs> Patriots fan. Dude, you're a Bengals fan. Who cares? <laughs> He's a Patriots fan, though. <laughs> At least my team wins. <laughs> hey, my team's winning this year a little bit. They lost to the Jets. <laughs> the Jets are on fire. <laughs> Excuses here. They're on a one-game streak. What are you talking about? They lost Thursday. I, they had a one-game streak. Okay, yes. let's not talk about my so, team. So, <laughs> yeah. So I moved out here. Um, my girlfriend at the time who's now my wife, uh, lived out here. We met online, and uh, and one of us had to move, so I had less back in New Hampshire as far as friends and family, so I moved out here. Um, I was not in education in the East Coast. I was actually uh, working on my information systems degree and uh, and and when I came here, I couldn't find work. I was looking mostly locally. And uh, there was an opening at an elementary school in town. And as a computer aide, so that's how I got my start in, in uh, schools. And I also, while working in this school district, I worked, um, I did, uh, I coached football, softball, and hockey. So I was coaching three sports and working as a computer aide and uh, finished off my degree and, um, then I went to Portage for a year as working in their tech department. And while I was uh, working here, I, I said, you know, I kind of like working with kids. Uh, maybe I'll go get my uh, teaching certificate. So I went to a place that had a, like an alternative licensing program for areas of need and computer science and business education were two of the ones that people were looking for and still are. And... Um, Got my certification in a year, took a couple master's classes, and uh, found a position in Lodi. <clears throat> excuse me, as a, um, a long-term sub to cover my um, student teaching, and um, became permanent. And then eventually, about five years ago, uh, Baraboo had an opening, and. Uh, not driving the half hour was very appealing, and uh, extra money that I got paid from 
being here um, made it very easy for me to come here. So, so I've been five years back in the district. Um, I hung up my coaching whistle. Now I just uh, am the drama coach at the high school, and um, I, and I teach uh, computer science classes and marketing classes right now. So, awesome. Wow, there's a lot to cover there. I have some it questions. Is. I have so many questions. <laughs> then dive I, in. I'm gonna. Don't look at me like that. God. He's a dick sometimes. I can be. When it's early. Yeah. He's just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so just, Go ahead. Just don't look him in the eye. So, <laughs> so first off, you said that you met your wife online. Correct. Now, what, what platform was that? How many years ago? I was over 20 years ago, I think 21. And we were, I was actually playing cribbage online oh okay and uh i was actually i was taking an online course and i was just taking a break and i play cribbage in between and yahoo games <laughs> there's a plug for yahoo uh i will expect a check in the mail yahoo um <laughs> we haven't gotten shit from any of the ones we try plugging so yeah good luck with that i was joking um so yeah i was in like this four person where you play partners and and we were just chatting on the side, and I was there was a little kid in there. I don't know how old he was, eighteen. He was, I was kind of ripping on him because he was an idiot, um, <laughs> and she liked that. She thought it was very funny, and um, I had I went on like six months later, and she says, "Do you remember me?" And I'm like, "No," <laughs> and I didn't. Nice play. <laughs> I'm just, it's just the way I am. I'm, I'm like, no, and I wasn't looking for romance at the time, and. Uh, and we started talking, and uh, eventually we started talking every day. And uh, I was playing another game with her mom. Um, I think it was like a Scrabble game. Um, and then we eventually decided to meet. And I flew out here for a long weekend. She flew out there for a long weekend. We went back and forth like four or five times, and that's when we decided that we should be together. So, so she like in that six months. Was she, like, looking for you? Like, do you think that she was like, I want to see if that guy's back on here? Um, I don't know. I never asked her that, but knowing Laura, she probably wasn't. It just probably was random, just like it was for me. Okay, so she's not the stalker type. Is what no, she's not the stalker type. <laughs> Love you, Laura. Yahoo Games. It wasn't FarmersOnly.com. No. <laughs> There's another plug. <laughs> I, I don't even know 20 years ago. What was, the, what was the first online, like, official one? Was it, like, Match or something? There was Match. There was that, uh, was OkCupid one of those old ones? I have no idea. I never used those things, so I didn't. Yeah. There, I, I know Match so, is one of the oldest ones. Yeah. So when you were playing on Yahoo Games, that was, like, 20 years ago. That was probably, like, the real early stages of online well maybe not 20 years ago maybe i'm thinking more 30 years ago but like online chat rooms yeah because when online chat rooms became a thing i was a teenager i was in college yeah because it was aol yeah and i was just gonna say aol had the chats and that was a little longer than 20 maybe 25 well i was i was 19 so yeah it's about 25 years ago 24 25 years ago yeah it was uh but when that first came out i mean that was a, just another social rec room. That wasn't like an intentional let's meet people thing. 
No, it was a weird, it was kind of a, this novelty kind of thing. Yeah. You know, it was more along those lines of, hey, have you ever seen this? This is this weird thing. And you can talk to people and they're from all over the world. And it was just like, mm, I'm good. <laughs> like, I'm going to talk to the I, people who are in my, on my same street. Yeah. I got, <laughs> I got, I got people in my room that I can talk to. I was, yeah, I wasn't a big technology guy, but. I grew up in a really small town, really small town values, and none of that stuff was ever part of the part of the value system. So when you met Laura, were you like, what was the thing that you had to do? Mm. A slash S slash L, age, sex, location. You remember? <laughs> I do not remember I that. I don't remember that either. <laughs> so, wow. So that was the thing. Like when you're meeting new people, you had to say A A S L, and it was your age, your your gender, your sex, and then where you were at. So that was like the beginning of texting. Yeah, that wow. was like, wow, Kyle, you were at the at the forefront of a of a revolution. Yeah, man, you meet people online, you got to know these deets. The, and it was all <laughs> the deets, even. It was all fake, because if you asked, I was a thirty two year old man in fucking Cali. <laughs> <laughs> you could be anybody, man. So that was like the beginning of like avatars. Mm-hmm. You know, but it was just, you had to, it was an imaginary avatar. You just, people just had to imagine, you have to describe yourself. Yeah. How many people went on those chat rooms and just totally lied through their teeth about who they were? Like, every one like, of them. Like 100%. <laughs> it's At like least 99%. Six, five, 190 pounds of pure muscle, jacked. Yeah. From California. <laughs> spend my days surfing and. See, the weird, the creepy thing when you think about it, like in today's age is. At the time when I was doing that, like it was totally innocent and like you were just, you wanted to be someone else, but now it's all like fucked up people trying to mislead you. There's a lot of it. There's a lot of it, but I think there's a lot of those, those, there's a, isn't, there's a lot of, uh, I think it's mostly, I should say this, I've mostly seen it in China, but where people go into these virtual worlds and they'll spend days at these internet bars where they'll go and hang out and they'll be this avatar and they want to live this whole life that's not theirs because that's where their their happiness is. There was a Schwarzenegger movie about this. There, oh, yeah? What was that one? Uh, Talking was, about the one where he goes to Mars? Yes. Yeah, that was Total Recall. Total Recall. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's... I've, I mean, That was the synopsis of Total Recall? I didn't know that either. Just about. I mean, the, the whole thing, he started... He was going to like an internet cafe type place, and he was being an alternative character. And okay, I don't. I must have that missed part. that part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was right at the beginning. So that that's what got the whole movie going. Oh, and that's See, how he recalled he was actually a spy or whatever he was in the movie. Interesting. This guy that pays attention to details, right there. I just know like his face got all messed up, and he like killed a bunch of people, and like. Went to Mars, and his eyeballs bugged out when he went out with no oxygen. Do you remember that part? No. He's like, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> and his, his, his eyeballs were like bulging out of his head and shit. Like the only part I remember is, was he on a stage at some point and he had to get into like this? Maybe it was a spaceship or something. I don't know. Are you thinking Running Man? Oh, maybe I'm thinking Running Man. You're thinking Running Man. Yeah, you're thinking Running Man. Thank you. Total Recall had Sharon Stone in it. Yep. Um. 
Back when she was, she was still the hottie from what was that movie she was in where she did the whole leg cross thing? Basic Instinct. Yes. <laughs> oh, he didn't hesitate on <laughs> there that. Was no hesitation on that. That was my first exposure to Sharon Stone. <laughs> I was gonna say he had to have been pretty young on yep. that one. Yeah, he was young on that one. Yeah, his English wasn't so good yet. It's still, <laughs> it's still not great. But I think once he became a governor, maybe he got some, some linguistic help or something. I thought you were talking about Yeah, I thought you were talking about me too. Like, wait, wait, what? Your English wasn't so good back then. Yeah. Basic instinct. That was mid nineties, ninety five, ninety six. Maybe earlier. I don't know. I can look it up. You look it up. You know, taking an opportunity Bill, can to you take call a- in and look up that. <laughs> so we, we we actually installed this desk over here for Bill. Because when we knew we were gonna do a podcast, we knew what how great would it be to have somebody look shit up for us. So we didn't sound like total dumbasses when people listened to it. And he fails to show up every yeah. day. It was 92, by the way. 92? Holy shit. So I was four. You're, you're, you're. <laughs> and you were watching that movie? I don't no, even I, I probably didn't watch that, that until 2000. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. So I was just, I was just reading, every once in a while I'll read about like movies and like weird shit that happened on movies and, um, I was reading about Wolf of Wall Street, and when they did the scene, you remember, you've seen Wolf of mm-hmm. Wall Street, when the teddy bear's got the camera in it, and she's and she's sitting there, Margot Robbie's yep. sitting there with her legs open, and like in the scene, they said that it was like full on nudity with their legs open towards the thing, and and uh, it showed like the opposite view, and there was like twelve dudes <laughs> with with cameras and everything watching the scene and she said she really had to swallow hard to get that scene done because it was like her embarrassment was through the roof i would think i was talking to you know our friend bill who never shows up to work i was talking to him about it and he said that normally they'd only have like a couple people in the room but it said in that scene there was like i don't know how many dudes would be like well i gotta leave It's Marco Robbie. My so, job is very important right now. Somebody was selling tickets outside. Hey, mm. nude scene, Margo. Yeah, no kidding. My goodness. I'm not going to say she's my favorite character in that movie, but Margo Robbie is a beautiful, beautiful woman. Yeah, I know. You can't say anything. Your wife listens to this. Mine doesn't, so I'm good. <laughs> the look on your face says it all, Kyle. Facts. <laughs> I'm trying, Straight facts. Trying to get him to trouble. Um, Bro. So, I don't, well, this is what happens, Mark, in these conversations. We just die because we're like, what the hell were we talking about? No, <laughs> so I am perfectly fine with that. <laughs> um, another this, thing. Yeah? You looking something up? No. Oh, okay. I thought you were looking up some fun facts about, <laughs> about Margot Robbie. I'm like, I'm all interested. Um, another thing you said, you coached. How long did you coach, Mark? Well, hockey was only one year. Um, when we co-opt with Reedsburg, there were like 17 coaches and only one person was really doing the coaching. Um, I won't mention any names. Big deal, Neil. Uh, <laughs> and um, softball, I did, I don't know, 12 years. And football, I did three or four. Okay. So... What, what, uh, like, how did you get into that sphere of coaching high school sports? I mean, so you, you did 12 years of softball, so you must have done some. Did you do some of that out east or not, none of that out east? It's all been here. It's all been here. So, I, how did you get into that? Well, for softball, 
<clears throat> excuse me, I had played uh, fast pitch for several years. My last year in New Hampshire, I think I six leagues, five teams. I was gone every weekend uh, to a tournament somewhere in New England. And uh, so when the opening came up, I was like, well, that's something I know pretty well. So I started small. I started seventh grade and worked my way up freshman JV varsity. Um, football, I had coached back east, Pop Warner, which was, you know, middle school age kids. They didn't have middle school football back then. Um, so it was kind of a way for me to give back because that's how I got my start playing football it was uh, Pop Warner in middle school. So I went back to the same uh, same team I played for and helped out coaching there. Um, hockey, John and I worked together at, at elementary school, and he just he liked the way I worked with the kids. I had never played organized hockey I did watch hockey a lot, but, um, you know, I wasn't technically uh, as sound as he was. Obviously, he played college hockey. Um, so he just asked me to come and help him coach, and uh, it was actually pretty fun. It was actually pretty fun. So so that was my coaching experience. So in um, when you're coaching football, uh, how many years did you coach football? I think it was either three or four here. Okay, and it was in what ages did you coach in football here? Um, well, the at the time the head coach wanted everyone to be a varsity coach, and then the afterthought was like freshmen. So I was coaching. I partnered up with uh, another gentleman, Tom Lever, and we. I was like the defensive backfield coach for varsity, um, and I also did. Uh, freshman defensive coordinator. So, but it was kind of like all those other coaching positions were kind of an afterthought, which to me was really strange way of doing business uh, coaching because, you know, you're trying to build a program and the freshmen are, are your, uh, you know, your basis. So it was, it was kind of strange the way he set that gentleman set it up. Um, You know, it was like, like I said, it was like an afterthought. Same with the JV program, the, all the coaches were varsity coaches that happened to once a week coach JV. So it's that is interesting. It, it seems to me that your connection with your players is paramount to being a good coach. You know, so if you're if you're not focused on them all the time, like if you're do, if you're a varsity coach and then once a week you coach them JV, that means there would be some sort of disconnect there. Yeah, it was it was strange. I you know playing football and yeah, but this, this guy had some interesting ideas mm. all over the place. My initial thought without knowing this guy, that would be, he was probably trying to teach his systems younger so that they're exposed to him as, you know, freshmen and as a JV team. So that as they build up to it, but yeah, there's a better way to do that. I think I, I like, you know, and I, I coach hockey obviously. And one of the, big things is, and I didn't coach high school, I coached Bantams, which was right before high school, um, was trying to get the high school systems down to these younger kids for exposure. But that's more of a a team up and communication between coaches versus double dipping on coaches. Yeah. I, <clears throat> we, we were running the same offense and defense. Um, so that was the same, but it, it was just really strange. It was like, 
you know, we'd be all practicing, all warming up together, and then they'd be like, all right, go with the freshman for half a practice. <clears throat> and then you'd come back to varsity and and then oh, Monday's a games. Go go coach the Yeah, games. it seems like a mess. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was very strange. Um I don't know if it was any effective. I I thought we did pretty well as freshman the freshman team I think won six, seven games that year, so so they were at least building some confidence freshman at at the freshman level because yeah. they were winning. But Yeah. <clears throat> Um, curious, but this is kind of to both of you, because just thinking about what you guys said about the different coaching styles and you had mentioned bringing the varsity styles down to the lower level so they can be prepared for it and get exposed to it. Um, I was always, and always have been a proponent of like the younger, the younger kids in the programs, football, basketball, whatever, the focus should be more about learning the fundamentals, learning to appreciate the sport and enjoy having a teammate and, and what that means. And then as they get older, drive home more of the competitiveness of the game and, and trying to win, mm-hmm. you know, um, this is, it, it seems to me like that, that, uh, the competitiveness, the winning, the, at all costs, like this must happen. Like that seems like that mentality is slowly trickling down to the younger and younger kids in, in sports. And I feel like for a long time, Baraboo, our football team, we didn't have much of a varsity football team. And, and it's like, I don't know why, why that is, but I feel like it changes kids' idea of like the sport is fun. If when you're a kid, it gets hammered into you that losing sucks. Because when you're a kid, you lose like way more often than you do is, I mean, it's maybe not way more often, but you take it harder, you know? And so, I mean, what are your thoughts on that, Mark? Um, <clears throat> I, I think you're right. I think basically the way you set up a program is, you know, at the lower levels, you're, you're not really focused on winning. You're focused on getting them, you know, the terminology, the techniques, so when they get to varsity, you're not spending that time as a varsity coach teaching those things to the kids. You're going on to more advanced things, um, and I think I think it's a lot of pressure from uh, guardians and parents that they all think their kids are are <clears throat> Division One athletes, and it really it's hard to explain to a parent what a Division One athlete looks like. Uh, because you really don't see a lot of them, um, but it, there's such a huge difference, such a huge difference, and I think, I think expectations have gotten so large at those little, uh, smaller levels uh, that uh, there's pressure on the kids, and they're not enjoying it. But I 100% agree; it's supposed to be for fun. Any thoughts, Mr. Crosby? I agree. Uh, immensely now i will caveat i wasn't always that way as a coach uh, as a young coach and keeping in mind the the age group i coached in hockey was uh 13 and 14 year olds Mm -hmm. so there was a really it was right before high school and they i think had the maturity enough maturity that they knew what they wanted they set their own goals and as a small team keeping in mind Hockey, a full team is 20 kids. We were lucky if we had 12 to 15 when I was coaching. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so it's not like we really were short shifting kids out there, but, um, you know, if there was two minutes left and the game was tied or we were up by one and we had to hold the lead, you know, the team itself would probably have voted to put certain kids out there in those situations. Now, looking back, I don't know if that was necessarily the right thing. I don't know if that was necessarily, let's say my third line was peer pressured into putting a different line out there. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's all hindsight. Sure. Uh, Honestly, I think the biggest issue I had as a coach is there was one year where we had three goalies. Mm. That's unheard of. And like 15 skaters, so three three full lines or 12 skaters or something like that. And so in the goalie situation, two of them were clearly passionate about being goalies and they wanted to be goalies. And the third goalie, this young kid, wanted to play for fun. And the, it it's a hard situation in a small group like that where you have two goalies and 10 kids all playing high school hockey next year, and they're going to be high school goalies. In fact, one of them is a senior this year. Um, and one of them just wants to finish out his season as playing for fun, but frankly, he's eight steps behind the other two. So when when you've got the majority of a team going to play high school hockey next year and one young kid who just wants to play and you want to put him as goalie, you, you basically start the game at a minus six to seven goal deficit. And that's a really difficult spot to be in, both as the kid who just wants to play for fun, the coach, the parents, the other kids. Like, mm-hmm. there's not a win-win in this case unless you just know going in, like, you guys are going to have to deal with it. I mean, I don't know what to tell you, mm-hmm. but the, just the stark difference between the two. And, <clears throat> yeah, I, I, I think in that situation, that season – I would have liked to set up expectations and probably plan it a little different, mm-hmm. but that was also my first year coaching. <laughs> so yeah, I mean hindsight's always twenty twenty when it comes to situations like that, especially when you're younger and you're you know you're coming from a little different place. Yep. You don't have the same maturity and life experience. Yeah, you're... it's like you're fresh out of college. Yeah. I got my own mindset going. Well, and <clears throat> you're fresh out of college and you want to like prove yourself as a coach. Yeah. You know, you want to get in there and you want to, you do want to win. I mean, obviously everybody likes to win. Like winning a match is amazing. You know? Yeah. It's a lot more fun when you win. It is. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely that to it. Um, But on the developmental side, yeah, it's, it probably was the wrong thing to do. Well, it's, it's hard now too, because I think that kids are starting sports so much younger. So by the time they get to 13, 14, a lot of them have like six years of sports under their belt. And so, I mean, like, my experience with my kids in sports is basically relegated to soccer. But they played Mesa soccer when they were younger, and then they moved on to high school soccer. Um, And with the Mesa soccer now, the traveling leagues, they're starting so young, and it's extremely competitive. They hold these massive tryouts for teams, and, and there's so many kids going out for the team that it's like, if you're not home with a net in your backyard practicing goals after school for two hours, you're not going to, you're out. Yeah. And, and at what point, like, you know, do you just, does a, uh, I know there's park and rec leagues, you know, there's a stark difference between the park and rec leagues and travel teams. So I know kids that like didn't make the travel team. They don't want to play park and rec because park and rec isn't anything like travel team. Park and rec is just strictly for fun. Um, and so I guess there's just, for kids who really love and are passionate about soccer, um, 
they've got to put in hours and hours and hours, and so do the parents. That's one of the things that bothered me so much when I was my youngest, when he was in the uh, Mesa League. We were traveling every single weekend. Yeah. There were tournaments in Appleton. There were tournaments all over the state, and you got to get hotel rooms. And when you got a family of five people and you get in hotel rooms and eating out and traveling on the weekends, it gets to be extremely expensive. And I remember one game, I don't know, I think he's like in the third grade or something, and we were playing in Portage, and they're, they're, uh, they're, they're fields next to the railroad tracks. So we're sitting there playing a game, and the train goes by, and the whole fucking game stopped. The whole game. Every kid stopped, like the ball sitting in the middle of the field, and they're all like, hey, check it out. It's a train, man. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. I am spending thousands of dollars and traveling all over the state. And like we're watching trains, yeah. You know, it's like I got to, you know, we got to yeah. find some balance here. Yeah, you it's, know. Yeah, and I think different sports are different. Again, I my experiences with hockey, um, and hockey's just expensive even on like a rec level because our tournaments we're still traveling, and that's again the fun versus the win. You're gonna drive three and a half hours to go play a tournament for fun. Yep. You know. And then you're going to get your ass kicked. It's not fun then. You know, Mm -hmm. if you drive that far and you pay that much money to get into the tournament and you're staying, it's like, we want to be somewhat competitive. At least that's right. And then again, it's, and then a sheer numbers thing. My last year coaching, we were in the playoffs. I had eight kids. Wow. There's five of those kids at one time on the ice. And I had eight. There's literally three kids on the bench. It's like, who really needs a break right now? You can come (laughs) off and you can go. No, I, I mean, it, it is, to me, it, it is supposed to be fun at the lower levels. But, I mean, there's still part of it is the competition. I mean, it's it's something they have to learn. It's it's a life lesson because, you know, you get out and you're, you're looking for a job. There's competition for that. Um, so there's always that part of competition. Uh, should it be the main focus? Mm, maybe not. Exactly. But it's there. I mean, it's there and it's given. I'm a very competitive guy. I, I know... Um, when I, uh, Ike and I and a few of our friends, uh, we used to play old man basketball is what I called it, and we got too old and fat to do that anymore. So now, like it's pick- now it's pickleball. Yeah, now it's pickleball. But, I mean, I I don't get as competitive as I used to be. I mean, I was just like, I mean, uh, if you ever saw me on the playing fast pitch, it was like flick the switch when I get on the field, and I'm just stone-faced serious. And, and – that's the way I played. I mean, I played on a very competitive team that actually uh, won nationals one year, and uh, we we were very good. And and speaking of Division One athletes, we had a Division One athlete as a center fielder, and uh, and yeah. But I, I don't know now. I just I just do it for fun and exercise. So I don't really. I try not to get serious because I get uh, I get too much into it. I guess is the way. Yeah. And and that's what I'm try avoid when i coached pop warner was like that it was like keep calm stay calm you know this is just for fun (laughs) you know um you know and i'm I'm like hey the kid's open in the flat why aren't you throwing the ball in the flat you know i'm like no no let it go (laughs) um but well you said there's a balance there is a balance balance to it and there's also a progression maturity and uh coaching and and it was kind of interesting i i went to a Seminar. I was just talking to my high school kids about this uh, because the uh, sports psychologist that I went to was from Duke, and he had uh, and he talked about different coaching philosophies and 
how you can tell a, a rookie coach from a from a, a person that's been coaching. You know, they he talked to Shostakovsky and Pat Summit and Bobby Knight, and when he did this book, and, and it was really interesting to me uh, to hear how he can tell what a, what a rookie coach is, and and I and I saw it in myself too. I'm like, yeah, that's the way I was when I first started coaching. I was like that. I was intense. Uh, it was more of a dictatorian. I tell you what to do, and you do it. Mm-hmm. And 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 that's how you can tell it's a it's a first year coach or a second year coach because that's mostly how they start off. Uh, and I said, you know, this guy also would go to management seminars and teach managers how to not be coercive, you know, more cooperative type coach and coercive coach. Hey, you got to do this work, and that's the way you're going to do it. And I'm not going to explain why. I'm, you're just doing it. Yeah, and can you imagine going into a job and that's your boss? Like a like a sports <laughs> yeah. coach? Like, like yeah. dude, not how this is going to work. <laughs> well, that's the way it used to be. Yeah. If yeah. you worked in any factory job, you worked at any labor job, you worked anywhere back in the day, that's the way it was. Yeah. And if you didn't do it that way, you got your ass chewed, maybe got a wrench thrown at you, <laughs> and then you went back to work. Uh, I just got to make a comment before we move on forward. I've watched like one volley of pickleball and it was with Ike and the three other people on the court were pretty straight legged and like, you know, casual having fun. But this guy crouched down like (laughs) in his stance. He was already, he was bent over. He was, he was popping. That's why, that's why I I don't play pickleball because I hurt myself. (laughs) You took it serious. I, 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 when I get, on the whole, on, in the whole gym, you were the most serious player. Oh yeah, when I get on the court, that's my problem with pickleball is that I only know I only know one one speed, and in like even I w- I was a little gimpy, but my brain just shuts off my gimpiness and it's like no, you're playing, you're gonna go for every ball, you're gonna die. I don't I only have only do- dove a few times, but everything I run as fast as i can slide whatever i got to do to try to get to a ball and then i, I die for a pickleball is it worth it huh <laughs> is if it you, worth if it you get the point it is because because <laughs> usually it's a pretty fucking awesome point everybody's like whoa you know those are, it's fun it's fun man there's not just to so rag on, i mean not, not no just, go ahead say it what do you say not to rag on your pickleball people but they're like whoa because you you could dive still <laughs> <laughs> You know what? Well, I just flashed to a movie, uh, Cable Guy. Jim Carrey, right? Yeah. I don't know that movie very well. When, when he me. was playing basketball, you know, he's doing the suicides before he's playing. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, and and if somebody's going up for layout, layup, he's taking them out. <laughs> he's not giving up the easy points, and, I, and that's, what, that's what I was flashing. Sorry, Ike. No, that's all right. That's See, all right. I've only known Mark for 45 minutes, and... Uh, I mean, I think we get, we're going to get along. Movies and sports <laughs> seem like two common denominators See, here. There you go. There you go. Get Ike, you're out. In a pod later. <laughs> you're, you're, you, you, want, you want my seat? You want to move over here? <laughs> you're gonna this be... is too early for me on Saturday. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, go back to sports a little bit, and then I guess this will kind of maybe segue into teaching. Um, you know, when I was growing up, and I, and I know that – I know for a lot of kids um, – Having a having a good coach is more than just just having a good sports coach. You know, there's the mentorship that happens on the sports field um, can change lives, um, especially for kids who don't have a lot of of guidance um, at home, or uh, or just maybe their parents are struggling to get through to them, 
and the only way you can get through to sometimes the only way to get through to a, a young man or woman is is through something that they're very passionate about. Um, you know, I know for me when I was in football in high school, um, it opened me up a lot. I was a little more raw on the field than I was in, in real life. I was way more reserved. And so, um, no, I didn't – I can't say that I had a coach that really reached out to me and mentored me. My coach was more of a do it this way, this mm-hmm. way it's done. And if you don't, I'm going to put on a helmet and I'll drive you into the ground kind of coach. <laughs> and he did. Um, but – it's a it's a huge part of a of a uh, of an athlete's upbringing if they've got a good coach, you know, because it transcends the field. Um, and uh, and as a coach, did you see that that was something that um, that you were a big part of kids' lives in that way? Well, I, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm gonna. I was just as you were talking, I was flashing back. This summer, we were at one of the concerts on the square, and my wife and I were sitting there and. This gentleman, he's probably in his 20s, walked by, and he, he looked at me, and then he kept walking. And then he came back and stopped and introduced himself and said, you used to coach football, and you were my coach, and, and I just want to thank you for everything you did, and you were a great coach, and walked away. And, of course, I look over at my wife, and she's crying, because uh, that's Laura. She's a sap. She's very sappy, and, uh, <laughs> and and that really meant a lot to me, um, that type of thing. Or you see a kid, you know, he's in his 20s or 30 years old, and they still call you coach. Mm-hmm. Um, and that means a lot. So, um, yeah, it happens a lot. It happens a lot. Um, I have a, I had a person that lived down the street from me um, that I coached in softball, and she would drive by every day and honk her horn. <laughs> this is years after, you know, and and uh, and I was actually working in Lodi, and she was graduating, so this was like three years after I left here, and she TP'd my house nice. on on Baraboo's homecoming. So, uh, <laughs> and I took that as a compliment. I I really I thought that was really special. So, yeah. So an answer, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's um, I. I've never, I've never coached. Um, I've always thought it'd be something that would be a very fun and rewarding job, but I also know that it's a massive commitment, mm-hmm. you know, especially if you're teaching as well, because I would imagine that as a teacher and a coach, your day ends at 10 PM and starts again at six o'clock in the morning throughout the whole entire sports season that you're coaching. You know, I can, it's, uh, uh the commitment to it, to me, it it shows like the obvious correlation to your passion for what you're doing and your con- and your commitment to the kids that you're coaching. Because um, talking earlier about you know when you do have parents on the on the sideline or calling you at night or emailing you and telling you that their kid needs more playing time, you know, oftentimes I feel like um, a coach can be a bit of a thankless job coming from an outsider's perspective. Um, the and do you feel, did you ever have that, like where parents would email you or whatever to tell you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it was one year I I had a bunch of difficult girls, and, of course, all their parents thought they were D1 athletes, and I would have meetings after practice every single day, every single day. Um, so, I mean, I wasn't getting home from just practice nights, 7, 7.30, uh, 
from Lodi because I had to meet with these parents and hear their complaints and my kid can't play that position. And it's like, and I tried explaining, I said, you know, pigeonholing a person into one position is such a terrible thing because you're going to be on teams that, you know, they may have someone better than you at that position. And I was trying to send a hint. Of course, the person never got it. Um, so learning all these other positions will be helpful for you. You know, if you are thinking of being a college athlete, they're going to put you in the position they think is best for you. You may not think it, but, you know, and so it's better to know these positions. And, again, I was trying to hint at this person that uh, your daughter is not a catcher, and she just didn't get it. Um, and I tried helping, and, but, no, it wouldn't. So it's it's very frustrating um, at times. Uh, sometimes you just, you know, you, you look at some of these things, and I – I tell these story, this story um, to some of my kids about when I was talking about, you know, resumes and setting up a, uh, have a really good <clears throat> uh, email address. Uh, you know, don't put like your, your fun one that you have for your friends, you know. Make sure you have just your name on an email because I said I would get this emails from this parent about her kid and her email was like sexy kitten 69. I'm like, I'm not going to take this seriously. I would just press delete. I wouldn't even read it. Um, and this is pretty close to an accurate story. I, I changed some of the the name of an email, but it was pretty much that. Mm. And uh, so, yeah, I've, I've dealt with quite a bit. Uh, I know when I was starting off in football, I had a parent go, my kid's the greatest player. And, and, and I said... He's, he can be very good, I said, but he doesn't do anything in practice. He's a bully in practice. I said, tell you what, you come down and watch practice, and you tell me, should that kid be playing? And uh, the parent came down, and I never heard from them again. So it was. That's a great piece of advice. Mm -hmm. It really is. I mean, I was just going to ask you, what would you say to parents that that you know are in a situation where their kid comes home and they're all upset because I can I can understand like if my son came home and he's like I'm giving it everything I got and there's guys out there that are slacking off and I'm better than they are and for some reason I'm just not getting it I I would I wouldn't necessarily say I'd, I'd go to the coach but I would be trying to figure out the best way as a parent what I can do to help my my uh, child like either become a better player and get more playing time or, or help them understand why it is they're not getting playing time. And, um, like what, one of the things that you just said was go watch your kid practice. Like that's, that's really great advice because you're going to see real fast what the coaches see when you see your kid practicing. If you know anything about the sport that your kid is in, I mean, are there anything else? Any, is there anything else you would say to, to parents where it's like, they're in a situation where their kids, their, their child's really upset. You know, they're not getting enough playing time or, or whatever, or you just don't think they're getting enough playing time. You know, how would you ap approach that? Well, and mostly it comes down to practice. I mean, because you're trying to be fair to these other kids. Yeah, this kid may be a great talent, uh, especially at a younger age. But if they're not working hard in practice and, you know, this other kid's given all he's got and, you know, he's not as talented, but he's listening and he's following directions and he's trying, 
I'm going to give that kid the shot. I mean, and again, I, I've, I've said that to parents hundreds of times, come watch a practice. And some of them just aren't, just won't do it. They, they take what their kids uh, say as gospel and, and they won't actually come down and see what the coaches are seeing. And, and, and it's a, it's a parallel to uh, teaching too, by the way. I imagine it is. I imagine it is. I was going to ask you if you see that, um, more now where where uh there's a more of a tendency to to trust for parents to trust on the te- on the their children's side than the teacher's side a little less respect for the school system i guess uh that is a huge problem um when i was working at an, the elementary school about 20 years ago i first noticed it i had a teacher whose uh whose student was uh racist in elementary school, he was calling a, a person a chink, and um, and he was a bully. And you know, and and the teacher had a conference with this kid and the parents and said, "Hey, your kid's a bully," and and he says racist things, and and uh, and the parent turned around and said, "Well, my kids never said this happened," and. And the teacher's like, well, I'm sorry. I, he's not telling you the truth because it's been witnessed by more than one person in the school. And the parent turned around, the parents turned around and looked at the teacher and said, teachers lie too. And, and I was just like, wow, mm. wow. Um, and that's, I think, one of the big problems right now in schools is you have these kids that are... Um, um, they don't have faith in teachers because their parents didn't have faith in teachers. Mm-hmm. They don't respect their teachers because their parents didn't respect their teachers. And this has been getting more and more uh, going on for the last 20 years, and it's gotten bad. And with the whole COVID and the weird situation the last two years, it's I think it's it's really taken off this year especially. It really seems to me that that the students have – so much more uh, power, so much more pull with the way things are run than they ever used to. And it, I, I feel like personally that's a dangerous precedent to set when you're talking about a, a, a group of, of individuals that are frankly not mature enough to understand what that means to have that kind of power and pull. You know, So the decision-making is like, should I remember when it's like, I'm going to be class president and we're going to get two brand new vending machines in every hallway. <laughs> and it's like, those are the priorities. And so when your priorities are based on a very, I'm not going to say immature, not like a child, but still the priorities are not based on, on the long-term, you know, right. objectives of, of, of an education and, and what's important in that system. Then, then if all of a sudden more power and more say gets put into the hands of a bunch of teenagers, it's it's going to change fundamentally the way the system works and and how the teachers have to teach, and I've personally seen that a lot. I'm, I'm sure Kyle, you can speak. Yeah, to I was going to say. I think the as a general statement, this isn't a universal, obviously, but as a general statement, the distrust in teachers, in your daycare providers, in your after school programs, in your sport coaches, the trust goes 100 percent to the kids. It feel I feel like even not even high schoolers. Like a ten-year-old, 
I will have a parent say, now my 10 year old said this happened instead. I'm like I have it on camera. Like this place is loaded in cameras with sound. Do you want to watch the whole conversation and see the interaction? Like, mm-hmm. I'm sorry you're believing your 10 year old, but I have two staff plus video proof. Like that didn't happen. And it, and then the, it, they still don't believe it. And I, I, there, I don't know how to combat that. No, it's, it's something, like I said, it's, it's, it's generational. <clears throat> the whole disrespect for the whole uh, education. And, and, and like you said, it's not just here. It's, it's at the boys and girls club. I'm sure. Like you said, uh, and coaching, you're right. It's, it goes through all of it. Um, and one of the things that stood out to me, and I, I've told this story a, a bunch, is we were doing a freshman orientation day in Lodi, which I thought was a really good idea, is for the parents to come in, uh, they would meet the teachers, we would give them schedules of their students' classes so they can see how far they have to go in between classes, uh, how their day went, and and then at every stop they'd meet the teachers in small groups. So as the principal is is in the auditorium talking about that, um, I'm we're sitting on teachers are sitting on the side, and I'm looking out into the crowd. Nobody is paying attention to them. Not, I'm not saying everyone, but you know everyone's got a phone in front of them, and they're looking at a phone or texting or reading something on there, and they're not even paying attention to what the principal is talking about. And and that to me was like wow. I mean that that to me was like that's exactly what I thought is that there's no respect. Yeah. There's less respect, I shouldn't say no respect, for teaching and and, and the, the community of teaching. I f- yeah, I feel like you no longer entrust your kid with the people that you expect to take care of your kid. Like you don't there's not a trust there anymore that that person's going to do the 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 is going to look out for your kid. There's not parent. I feel like parents don't trust that teachers have their kids best interests in mind or principals or coaches or after school providers. It's like, I know what's best for my kid. You're just here to do your job. Like there's not a trust there that you're going to actually look out for my child. And then I don't, yeah. I will say that, uh, Coaches get more respect than teachers do right now um, because, and it all comes down to power. If if you are disrespectful to your coach, guess what? Sure. You're not going to play. Right. Yeah. Um, but if you're disrespectful to your teacher, yeah, you might get a consequence, but it's not like, you know, there's anything feasible they can see that it's going to affect them. Sure. Um, well, and, and most likely, I'm assuming a, a, an athlete, there's some motivation because they want to play. Like, you know what I mean? They they enjoy that part of it where maybe going to school at 8 a.m. to sit in history class, eh, that's not high on the priority list. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and, and, you know, one of the things that always, you know, when they say, oh, kids have changed and, uh, and you know, the older generation thinks, cause I'm an old teacher and... I don't think kids have changed. I don't. I think the kids are the same. They're kids. I think what's changed is all, all what goes on around them. And one of the biggest problems, I think, with kids has been the cell phones, too. Yeah, I have a thought about 
So as a parent um, with kids from 22 to 13, um, I feel like when my, when my kids, my oldest kids were really young, um, we had a one income household and the, um, my kids were able to, they had a lot more time and attention from, from my ex-wife, their mother and myself. Um, and, uh, now that they're more grown and we have a 13-year-old at home, and I'm working full-time, and his mom is working full-time, and he has games that he plays, and then we have a couple of TV shows that we watch at night, and we're, we're busier. Um, is there, so I guess I'm calling myself out on this to a degree where it's like, we don't, I, I wonder if parents don't in, invest as much time every single day into their kids as we, as parents used to, like, there's so many more distractions. There's so much more impetus to have a two-income household so we could afford to buy a house, to have the car, to do the sport, to do all those things, that there's less time with parents to actually sit down and actually understand how their day went and actually understand where their conflicts are. It's more mitigating crisis. I feel like there's a lot more time spent like going, why is my kid mad? I want to make my kid not mad. Why is my kid crying? I want to make my kid not cry. I want to make him happy. And so it's like, what can I do to make my kid happy? Well, every other kid out there says they're happy when they get to play video games or they get to do this or they get to do that. So I'm going to do those things because then I don't have to deal with their suffering because I'm fucking busy. Like I'm dealing with my own suffering. I'm dealing with my job. I'm dealing with this. I'm trying to keep it all together. And all of a sudden I've got my, my child's in crisis mode. And they're in crisis mode because probably I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent here. When they're little, nowadays, when kids are little, I see it all the time. If a kid starts to cry just a little bit, they shove a nook in their mouth and they hand them their phone at, at eight months old. You know, a year old, two years old, they get into this system where it's like any kind of uncomfortableness, they don't have to suffer through it at all. They don't have to deal with being uncomfortable. So if they never have to deal with being uncomfortable, when they get to high school, the smallest little uncomfortability is going to cause a, a tsunami, you know? And so, like, how much of, of, of the, the system are we compensating for the lack of, like, actual time spent with these kids in their lives, giving them true guidance and, and hearing what they need? And I'm not, per se, blaming the parents. I know there are parents out there that take that time, but it's hard right now. It's a different world. So how much of it is it just the world we live in, I guess? It's quite a bit. I mean, if you think back, well, you probably can't think back. He's it's <laughs> just a young buck. Um, you know, kids growing up in the 60s, they didn't have a phone. Uh, I mean, kids born in the 60s, like myself, I didn't have a phone. Um, we had a TV. I had an Atari, but it was like, you know, if I was sleeping, this is an example of my of my mom's. If I was sleeping at se- past seven o'clock Saturday morning, my mom would come in and vacuum in my room and slam the vacuum into the bed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, seven oh one, get up, get out, you know. And and I was out the door doing stuff, and and you know, nowadays kids sleep till noon, and then they wake up, and 
because they were up all night playing video games. It, it is a different world, and, and there is more distractions. Um, and people, and like you said, uh, single family, I mean, single income families were a thing in the 60s and 70s and 80s where the, the uh, both did not have to work. Um, so that that shift has, you know, and it's part societal. I, I completely agree with that. I think that not having a parent at home all day with the kids, especially growing up young, is is a disadvantage. There's there's um, there's some there's something missing. There is some disconnect, and there's something missing because, and it's not the parents' fault. It's it's you know society's fault pretty much, um, and that is a big problem. Uh, it's something we've talked about as teachers a lot, and and we know you know we we understand that it's not as easy to raise children as it was. And and so don't take it, uh, and I've seen you with your kids, and you do a great job with your kids, by the way. Thank you. Um, you know, I, you say, oh, me and Gavin, we went out to the arcade together, and I'm like, man, that's really cool. I, I mean, I didn't have that at all. I mean, if my parents showed up to a game, it was a miracle because they had to work. It wasn't because they didn't want to, they didn't understand it. It was because they had to work. So um, I think it's a big, big disadvantage is in the dual income houses. Um, and I, I completely agree with you. That's a big problem. So with understanding that, that that is one of the battles that you fight on the daily, um, how does that translate into teaching? How does that translate? What, um, as as a teacher, how do you absorb that? And and do you are, are you given more tools because of that situation, or or uh, like how how does that affect you directly on a daily basis? And, and I'm sure you've seen this too. The big thing is is we're not teaching just subject matter we are teaching we are we are teaching stuff that if they had a parent at home mm-hmm. this is something they would be learning uh so we're we're helping parent as well we really are so we're spending less time on subject matter and you know like being respectful being polite you know if, if you belch in the middle of class it happens but don't just sit there and don't say anything about it. I, I stop and go, okay, what do you say? What? What do you say? Oh, uh, sorry. Okay, let's go on. So, I mean, it's stuff like that you got to teach the kids because that they're missing that because the parent isn't home that teaches yeah. them that. So, so actual educational time, that's how it bleeds in is, um, you know, just, just little things like that. Um, and most of the time you just, you know, like somebody s- sneezes in class and I'm like, bless you. I do it automatically. And, and it's it's funny to hear some kids will say thank you right away. And and sometimes you'll hear kids say bless you with you. And you're like, wow, that's great. <laughs> um, you know, uh, so, you know, again, you're just trying to add that into that. And, and, and I think more at elementary levels, uh, they have to. Again, you know, this is how we talk in the halls. This is how we walk. This is how we're polite. 
This is how you say hi to people in the morning. So teachers are having to teach stuff that they would have learned at home, but there aren't parents at home to do it because they are working. So, so I guess that is the big thing. That's how it affects schools. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like um, I agree 100%. I, and I was going to ask you how, before this came up, I was going to say, how do you think your role as an educator has changed over the course of your tenure? And as you're saying this, I'm assuming that's the, the, the answer right there is yeah. the expectation is not only are you an educator, but you're a parent and a mentor now as well. Um, and I feel like that certainly bleeds over to, to my world here at the club too. That's, and it's almost an expectation on a parental level and that you as an educator do those things now. And see, I, I feel like, I feel like, um, it, the way I would look at it from an outsider's perspective, if like in the elementary levels, I have a full expectation that there's more of that happening on an elementary level, you know, wash your hands, don't talk when you're not, when you're not supposed to be talking, be polite, be kind, don't yell in the halls, all these things because they're, they're still developing so much at that point in time. And if you've got them for six or seven hours a day, you know, there's going to be moments where they're going to need to be taught things when they get into high school and they've, they've gotten past that puberty point and start, some of their tendencies are getting more steadfast and more hardened those tendencies hopefully kind of get figured out in elementary school and middle school. And then when they get to high school, the teachers can actually teach more and focus on the education. Cause my guess is, is that if you are spending that much more time in, in a pseudo parenting role, that's less time you have to, to teach the curriculum that it is your duty to, and what you get paid for to, to get done by the end of the year. And like does that af- does that affect? Do you see how that could affect like um, high schoolers' grades and classes, and how much information they can actually absorb in a day? And at the end of the year, what kind of expectations can can be you know honestly had of them? When say, is it fair to say twenty percent of the time that they're in a the classroom, you're you're parenting? I I think especially the last two years, it's it's been probably more than twenty percent of the time. Um, and it's no fault through kids or parents. It's just, it's just this whole COVID situation where they've been at home for a year and a half, two years. Uh, so they're missing out on a lot of that. And uh, vice principal at the high school uh, calls it, he kind of refers it to, um, likens it to uh, an egg. Uh, he said, you know, they've missed that incubation period for two years so as freshmen and sophomores now they're in the high school but they missed out on that that incubation period in middle school mm-hmm. and missed a lot and this in middle school is really uh where a lot of these behaviors really come out sure hormones hormones yeah. start flowing and and god bless middle school teachers because i can never do it um I don't have much hair now, but I would, I would be <laughs> Kojak bald by then. Um, so, you know, they missed out a lot of the structure and discipline, as like you said, when yeah. they're hormonal. And then they get here, and they're, they're reverting back to where they were in fifth or sixth grade. Here is in high school. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's the, the fundamentals of being a human. Mm-hmm. 
I'll I'll do the analogy of of sports and coaching. Again, I coached hockey. At the age right before high school, you would expect players could skate backwards if they've been playing for eight years. But if I have to teach a kid how to skate backwards or cross over and make a turn or stop at a at a higher level, like I can't teach you a system if you can't skate. Right. And so if you didn't learn that for the last eight years of playing, I'm going to have to prioritize that versus teaching you a breakout or a different system. And so I would imagine in a school setting, if you can't, if you didn't learn the fundamentals of how to be a student and how to be respectful, it's really difficult to teach you what happened in 1940s, World War II, if you can't just sit still and, and listen or take notes or not belch and distract an entire class, et cetera. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the last year and two years have been very challenging. And so, okay, go ahead. I was just going to say, and it's for students, teachers, administrators. It's, it's been very, very challenging. And to be fair, the last two years have probably been a pain in the ass for parents too. Oh, I'm sure the, the last two years specifically have been, I think that's trying for everybody, you yeah. know, so you've, the last two years have added a, a, a whole nother level of, of struggle on a system that was already having some struggles, you know, it's, and, and all the systems maybe that were already having struggles that added to that, but this is a system that can't fail, right? Like we're just, we can't say, oh, they're not performance. We're going to shut school down. You can't do that. You know, so, so it's a, it's a constant, I would imagine it's a constant sitting down and going, what can we do here? What's, what's the best opportunity? What's the best option? You know, we've got 10 shitty options. What's the least shitty option we can mm -hmm. do to move forward tomorrow? Cause it didn't work today. And I, I, this is my personal opinion. Ike Landman Esquire <laughs> is I feel like from an outsider's view that the school systems are getting more and more hamstrung by politics and by the system that dictates how they can and can't teach and how they can and can't um, relate to kids. Um, and so with, with that in place, it offers a lot less opportunities for teachers to gain the respect of the, of the kids going into the school if, they, if there's a lack of authority. And, and my personal view is that like without that respect – moving forward out, out into the world, it's just going to hamstring them for, for years. Because, and this is what I tell my kids all the time, is that the world's full of assholes, and the world's full of troubles and difficulties and roadblocks and walls you're going to have to climb, and they're not just going to move because you tell them that it hurts your feelings that they're in the way. That's not the way the world works. Like, so if you're growing up in a, in a place where if your feelings are hurt, then, then the playing field gets changed for you because your feelings are hurt. It's setting, a, it's setting a child up to fail when they become an adult and they really hit a wall. And once they really hit a wall, then they're going to be in some serious like mental health issues because they've never struggled like this before. And I feel like I see it. There are far more mental health issues today than there ever were. You know? And I think that's a direct correlation to kids not having to face struggles when they're younger. You know? And I think part of it is... Our parents waking us up with a vacuum at 7 a.m. You're going to get your ass outside. Go do something. You're going to, you know, you go out and you play with your friends and you skin your knee and 
you fall off your bike and you get in an argument with somebody and then some parent yells at you because you rode your bike across their yard and you got to deal with all these mental struggles. And at the end of the day, you still got to come home and you got to pull your shit together because your parents expect things of you. You know, you got to mow the grass. You got to do this. We're going out tonight. We need you to watch your kid brother for a couple hours. All these different things that I think that, um, from an outsider's perspective on the school system anyway, I I feel like the expectations of kids are so much lower now um, that it's not serving them long-term. And and part of that, I think, is because I've been told, like, when I was, uh, um, when my youngest, my youngest, not not Gavin, he's my stepson, but Dylan, my, my biological youngest, when he was in the 4K system, I used to go in there. Every day I could, I would spend his half day volunteering and being in class with him and all of his little friends and it was like the fucking funnest time in the world got to be a giraffe and buffalo and all this cool shit you'd make a good giraffe i was a damn good giraffe you i really freakishly was tall <laughs> <laughs> um one of the things surprised me though is that they they had to do these things and they had to make a game out of hopping on one foot and and i and i i thought like they did the hopping and then they did it again, and then they did it again. I'm like, why are we spending so much time hopping on one foot? I mean, I know it's fun and all, but like, there'd be way cooler things we could be doing. And she said that as part of the curriculum, that they have to be able to hop on one foot so many times before they can officially make it out of 4K. Like, there's all these little rules that they have to follow that if they don't hit these specific benchmarks, that they're not technically ready to move on and it's like how i felt like these benchmarks really hamstrung their ability to teach because it's like oh wait we've got to spend oh mm, billy fell over ha <laughs> we gotta do it again you know so he spent a whole afternoon jumping jumping on one damn foot when you could be like i don't know teaching them how to make pizza or something fun like that like were there more different kinds of skills you know so it's a do you see the curriculums different, like the, the parameters? At, at high school, it's a little different. It's it's the testing uh, that that is hamstrung schools. Um, and this is one of these uh, points that we talked about being careful. Um, it's it's all about funding for for schools. You know, they have to to get federal funds. Um, there, there are tests uh, for schools itself. Like we get report cards, and if we don't do well enough on our report cards as a school, our federal funding gets cut, or our state funding gets cut. Um, and you know, and then the the curriculum is all about testing. If the kids don't score high enough, funding gets cut. And uh, at the state and federal level, so so yeah, it's it, and and one of the things they talked about. There's an article, I believe, one of the Scandinavian countries, maybe Norway, had the best school systems in the world. And one of the things that kept coming out when they were interviewing teachers, comparing it to the United States, is we don't have any standardized testing. And and I think that is a huge huge thing, because we are you know it feels like we have to teach to the test, 
not so much in my subject matter, but the core classes. They have to teach to the tests. Um, and I think that really hamstrung, hamstrings teachers and it kind of limits what the, the students are learning. You know, they're learning what they have to learn for the test. They're not learning everything else. And, and I think that is the part that I think is limiting at the high school level. Hmm. Do you guys here at the Boys and Girls Club of America, do you guys have outside uh, influence as far as like, do you have to meet criteria and goals and such to maintain funding? Well, so you have to understand how we get funding here. Yeah. I mean, funding at a, at a Boys and Girls Club isn't through Boys and Girls Club of America. We actually pay Boys and Girls Club of America to use the name Boys and Girls Club. Um, so we're private donations. We are um, grants and then individual like fundraisers, like we're doing our gala and stuff like that. So really the, the benchmarks we have to meet are grant-based. Okay. So if we have a grant to, you know, a federal grant to mentor 20 at-risk kids and see improvement on social emotional wellness then we have to track that specifically um if we have a grant to run an online stride which is a mathematics and reading program and see improvement for 25 kids over the course of a year then we have to do that um so really the benchmarks we do either meet our grant requirements or just give us i guess ammunition to prove our impact it's not, but it's not a standardized thing like in a school system. Mm -hmm. So we do what we can to make sure that we're making an impact, I guess is my point. But there's so many things that are frankly unmeasurable. Could you measure the impact you have in league other than the fact that guys show up? No, I don't think, I, I think that, I mean, you, unless you're, unless you're giving the kids an exit interview well, kind exactly. of thing or something like that. I mean, I mean, we, we do what we can, but we're not sitting here individually asking each kid, did you get in trouble with the law today? Did you, you know. Right. You, it's yeah. more grounded than that. So. Yeah, there's no there's no hardcore, no, no hard set data, as Mark's talking yeah. about with like testing situations yeah. where there's no, yeah, so to. to so, but you can see like on an individual personal level, you can see the change in these guys. You can see the relationship. Oh, yeah. But it, unless you're you or me. How are you going to measure that? Right. I guess it's a situation kind of like with Mark where that guy came down the, the sidewalk. He's like, hey, coach. Yeah. You know, situation like that where, like, maybe, and I, I haven't ever had this happen to me, but, like, it would be incredible if if I was out in the community and one of the parents came up and said, hey, by the way, thank you for doing your program because it means a lot and mm -hmm. I've seen changes in my kid through your program. I mean, that would be, I guess, a bit of a benchmark to say that you could see something. But, I mean, it's not. For sure, but that's subjective. It's not data. That's subjective. Yeah, it's right. completely so, subjective. It's yeah. not data. So, and, it, and it's not scrutinized by an outside source. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, to answer your question, long story short, we do benchmarks to meet grant requirements, but everything else is pretty much, we just do what we can do as far as impact goes. Mm -hmm. On a personal uh <sighs> Whoa. <laughs> Personal thought Whoa. on Mark's thing, and I, and I don't expect you, Mark, to, to jump in on this. You know, w with schools funding being tied to test scores, like I would think if a school is scoring low, maybe they need more r resources. <laughs> yeah. 
And so not to tie that to test scores, but I do think there needs to be, and maybe not standardized testing, but standardized things for a student to graduate. I've, I've read stories where in maybe some underserved communities, their, their answer to low graduation rates is to lower expectations to graduate. Yeah. And I, and I frankly, on a personal level, disagree with that. I, I, I 100% disagree like if all, with that. If all you have to do is show up to 70% of your classes, never take a test, never prove you've learned anything other than just showing up 70% of time, should you graduate high school? Again, don't expect you to answer that, Mark. But me, no. I think you need, like, high school is there to teach you some fundamentals. Now, what they teach, I'm totally for maybe adjusting. Mm-hmm. Some more life skills could be in there versus some more trivial things. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah. Well, how old is the system? I mean, to the, to your point, because I've <laughs> as many kids as I've had go through the school system, and it, I'm not saying it's just a school system, but I think the system is very old in what how we teach and what we teach. And maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like what I hear from my student, my kids that are students or have been students, is that like the world is very different than it used to be and they feel like they're still being taught things that will would have helped them more in a, in a world of 20 30 years ago yeah and that you know maybe there's more emphasis this needs to be put on other subjects in school sure that would sure. be more beneficial to kids entering the world and i mean let's be honest like so much of school is like <laughs> i feel like it's it's like making good workers like we're we're teaching kids how to get out into the workforce and and live the american life you know, it's like how much of this, how much is it about um, getting out in the world and, and experiencing a, a great life, mm-hmm. you know, as a whole. So, Mark, can you can you answer that, like, just in a statement of fact, like, how much input do teachers have on curriculum, or how often is a standardized test adjusted? Do you know those things? Like, is, is curriculum looked at every summer for a school district? Uh, curriculum is looked at um, again. Um, most of the focus on curriculum is on the, you know, the <coughs> core classes, um, and they are constantly being tweaked in, in trying to improve. So, can you tell us what the core classes are, just so? So, just science, English, math, social studies, um, any of the um, other classes like music or or uh, art, art. Um, I keep forgetting what the uh, home economics mm-hmm. is now called something else. It's called um, family and consumer science. That's oh, it. yeah. Um, and, you know, computer science, which I teach, and business education, which I teach. Are, are, they're not, I mean, we have standards that we follow, but uh, we can adjust those standards. You have more input on we, your. Exactly. Yeah. We have more input as being. Um, elective classes to what we can and can't put in. Um, um, but, you know, we are fortunate enough at, at, at Baraboo that uh, one of the gentlemen that set up the standards for computer science is a teacher here. So, uh, and I'm not just blowing smoke. I'm, I'm just going to tell you, um, any of your kids that want to be a computer scientist, uh, this teacher, he's, his name's Dan Rohde. He's fantastic. He is Probably the best teacher I've ever seen in 20 years of teaching. Um, and he is, he gives those students such a leg up to get into that field. And um, so if 
any people are listening that are outside the Baraboo School District, and your kid wants to go computer science, switch him over to here because he is just phenomenal. Um, sorry. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, you know, we talk all the time about our standards and um, how we can change them. Um, our, com- our computer science ones are pretty solid. I think our business education, um, I was not hired at first to be a business education teacher. I, I just happened to have certification in marketing, business education, computer science, online teaching. So I, I have a broad range of uh, certifications. So I've kind of now all of a sudden I'm teaching marketing. Um, you know, when I was first hired, I was just computer science. And I like teaching business. I mean, I've, I've owned three businesses. I still own two businesses. I have two LLCs. Probably not as many as Ike, but, you know. Uh, so, I mean, I, I still, you know, I, so I, I feel it, I'm, a, I'm a good fit for teaching business because I can actually tell the kids some on, sure. uh, real life experiences. Uh, whereas, you know, someone that just went to school, and I went to business school. I did not go as a teacher. Um, so, I mean, I have a lot more business education than a regular business education teacher would have. So, um, so getting back to the standards, sorry, I went off on a tangent. Um, yeah, uh, they're, they're always looked at. They're always looked at. Yeah, I mean, I guess they did change math. Oh, the, the new, the new However co- long what's ago. it called, Common Core? What's that, what's that called, the new math? New math. New math. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, uh, to be honest with you, I don't know what it's called. Um, Still can't do it. I, the first time my kid brought home that shit, I was like, he was struggling. And I'm, I'm like, here, just do this and this, carry this. And he's just like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm doing math. And this is not what I'm, this is not how math is done. I'm like, no, this is how math is done. And, and it was, it was a, it was tough because I couldn't help him with this new style of math. There was no way I could. Because I didn't know what what the hell he was doing, I had no clue. You know, it's like that doesn't make any sense. They got the he got the answer, but it didn't make any sense yeah. to me. So I can, yeah. After that, it was it was a bit of a struggle. He'd he'd be like, "Yeah, Dad, I'll I'll talk to somebody else." <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's math homework. Uh, I can teach you the old way, not the new way. And they're starting young with that new s- system too. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I don't know what it's called, but it's it's called a pain in my ass, or it was anyway. It might be common. Is it Common Core math? I I want to say Common. Maybe core. you just have it in my head now that it's yeah, common it's, core. I, I did it. Maybe I, that was our way of doing math as Common Core. Math. I laid I laid the little seed of a sapling. Um, curious. So you are. I'm holding up my fingers really close together to signal very close. It's about this this close four centimeters. Yeah. This is not four centimeters. Hang on, I got a ruler. <laughs> okay, Kyle's gonna get a ruler. If you're if you're saying this is four centimeters, Kyle, I feel bad for somebody in your life. It's like two centimeters. <laughs> I, <laughs> Common Core math. <laughs> I, I had a buddy of mine in high school, and uh, he always he always he always had like the most attractive girlfriends, and I'm like how do you do it, man? And he's like, and he'd hold up his fingers like that. He goes, I just tell him this is six inches. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay, I get it. Anyway, I digress. Um, what's the future for Mark Hendon Krause? I mean, you're this close to retirement. I mean, uh, what's um, are you going to still stay in some 
field of teaching, maybe coaching? Like, what's what are you thinking? Well, 55 is the uh, state retirement age, and as of October, I am 55. Um, and I made it pretty well known that this is it for me this year, teaching. Um, I, think, I think teaching is, and coaching, is, is mostly a younger person's. They have the energy to keep going and going and going. It's not like I don't have energy, but I, I, just, I just feel it's time for a life change. Um, school change. I want to work. I, I mean, I was just, I just had COVID and I was stuck at home for two weeks and I was going insane. Uh, I have to be out. I have to be out there doing something. So um, I do like the whole coaching and teaching thing. So if I could find a job similar, I, I would be very happy. Um, and my wife would be very happy that I kept working. <laughs> But uh, yeah, that's kind of the way I'm looking. I'm, I'm, I've kind of I've kind of started looking, um, just just to get ready, see what's out there, and uh, that's kind of the way I'm looking. And, you know, if my experience has been teaching software a lot and um, teaching, so so any combinations, and I like doing both. So, and I've done some at the college level, uh, not really college level. Um, what is it? adults, continuing education, that's what I was mm -hmm. trying to get. So I've done that as well at the um, University of Baraboo Platteville uh, for a couple of summers, and I enjoyed that too. So so anything like that, I think I, think I, would, uh, I would be okay. But. So, so perhaps uh, Professor HK might, might be in the future? On, mm, college level, I, I, I don't see myself teaching college. I, I think... Uh, teaching adults, um, more like uh, night school or um, maybe working for a software company and teaching their software to others would be more oh, to my okay. liking. Right, cool. yeah. So definitely working with people. <clears throat> yeah. And tech. Okay. And tech. People and tech. Yeah. What are your uh, two LLCs, can I ask? Um, well, we used to own the wine bar. Oh, yeah. And... Uh, we sold that, and we have uh, apartments above it, so we created an LLC for, for our apartments. And then uh, I also own a uh, guest house. Okay. So um, it's on Airbnb and VRBO. So. Sure, but it's not. I, I was wondering if it was like Mark's Computer Solutions. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I uh, I was more um, when it my degree is more like computers in the business place. Okay. It's, it's not like programming or, um, I actually personally do not like programming. It's just too, it's sort of like accounting. It's too tedious mm -hmm. and numbers. And so that, that's nothing I, I really enjoy doing. I mean, I can do it, but it's not something I enjoy doing. So what's the difference? I mean, like what, what, how would you say what it is? Like, how would you describe what you teach? How would, well, mostly um, I have an entry level. So students to graduate from Baraboo High School need at least a half credit in computer science. Not every kid is going to go, I want to learn about computers. I want to know how they think. I want to program. I want to know what an algorithm is. Um, you just said how they think. Computer, yeah, computers, computers are think. thinking now? 
No, I mean AI, you're, baby. Oh, yeah, this AI. is some this is some my robot kind of stuff coming on. I don't know how I feel We're about fucked. that. Well, and and basically what how a computer think is programming. Wink, wink. You write you write <laughs> you write a program in uh, program language, and you're telling the computer how to quote unquote think. Do you think that's going to be something? Is I, I don't I don't mean to derail it, but it, I, I'm really curious to your thoughts on like AI and how that's going to affect like our future and the way we operate it. Are we going to have Terminator? I don't know about Terminator, but like like some sort of artificial intelligence that's going to be able to to like almost the ninety nine percent emulate a human being's process. Going to take a person a lot smarter than me to do that. Um, it would, that would require it to learn. Would it though? Um, yes, yes, learn. Yes, learn. But there's our, there are computers that can already learn because they're computers that learn how to play chess. Yeah. You know, so like I think computer learning is already existing, you know, and so it's like outside of our emotional intelligence, what else is there that computers can't do? raise a flag well <laughs> for example a, a so crude kyle crasby i think that's wrong by the way go ahead a computer cannot do randomness for example you have to teach the computer and they call it pseudo randomness so so if you roll a dice you have to teach and basically what you're doing is like well, it could be this outcome, this outcome. And you got to write all this in programming language, which is like this this outcome. Yeah, this probability outcome. stuff. And and just, you know, it's not really thinking on its own. It's so, like a modern-day uh, slot machine. Right. So you hit a button, supposed to be random, but there's still some program in there. Right. And, and I think there will always be that little barrier between. So I don't think, I'm not thinking like Terminator, no. So, I mean, is there is there going to be a point though where, like, uh, to a degree, as far as like all the functions of of uh, like a mo- our modern day society, are humans going to be obsolete in the sense that that like we won't have anything we have to do because basically we can we'll have programmed computers and robots to do it all. I mean, I look at farming now; so much of it is is done with AI and technology. You know, like. Tractors don't need mm-hmm. people to drive them anymore. You know, they need people to to punch in what they want it to be done. Like if you've got sixteen or one hundred and sixty acres, this is how you're going to plant it. You know, but other than that, they can do it. You know, it's there's freaking robots that clean your house at night, mow your grass during the day, pick up your dog's poop. They do, do they can do it all. You know, so what's next? What's going to be the thing that makes us important? <laughs> it gives us some level of like self worth. I think if any of those machines break down, who's going to fix them? You're well, gonna, there's you're definitely have a, you're going to have other another robots. Computer that's <laughs> other robots are going to fix the broken robots. You're going to send them into the. <laughs> I don't know. I'm pulling this shit out of thin air. I understand. It's Matrix, man. It's we're going to be the self worth is to create the revolution against what we built. Living in the tunnels underground. Yep. You you watch the Matrix? Oh yeah. Do you think Do you think that's uh, even a plausible idea that we could be a simulation? 
it has crossed my mind once or twice, but no. Um, I just don't think so. <laughs> well, I don't know what Elon says, so he says that that is a hundred percent plausible. Not that it's that is what it is, but it's definitely plausible that that we have gotten so advanced in our technology that that we are actually living in a simulation of an advanced civilization. Yeah, man. What if this is just the Sims and we're individual Sims? Right. I, I, Stephanie plays that Sims game on her computer, and it's like it's nowhere near as cool as what we do. But it's still, it's like. People get attached to their characters. Yeah, man. You know, it's like, you know, you got to, like, you got to farm some vegetables. You got to go home. You got to meet your husband or wife. You got to have some kids. And then you got to climb a mountain. And you got to do start a business. All this shit that you do. Going back to the, the people that live in those internet cafes that are in this virtual life. What was the, what's the name of that movie, Mark, where the kids got the goggles and shit? And, like, the world's gotten to shit, but everybody lives in the... Is that... Uh... Ready Player One? That's the one. Yeah, Ready Player One. I don't know. That looks like it's totally legit. You've never seen Ready Player One? No. Is oh, it my God. Newer or is it old? It's kind of... It's ish. Eight to ten years? Yeah. It's, it's a great movie. It's a great movie. Um, I could see that being somewhat of a reality. I, it kind of is to yeah, a degree. 2018. If you think about how many, how many young people log in thousands of hours connected to a virtual world playing as an avatar that looks nothing like them that acts nothing like them yet it's their own voice powering it we're basically there outside of the haptic suits and the you know the destruction of the world around us yeah well we're 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 looping back to the uh your uh 32 year old six foot five yep yeah 210 pound person again on, on the Internet chat rooms, so so it's just a Full different circle, level. Yeah. yeah, it's more real now. Yeah, it's more real. Like they they got the VR goggles. You ever you guys ever done the VR goggles? Oh, yeah, I haven't. What'd you think of them, Mark? I liked them. I thought it was fun. What'd you do? I did like a roller coaster or something like that. Or I didn't play any games in it. Um, I don't know. I always feel like I never have time to play games other than pickleball, of course. But. Yeah. Well, that's all about where we where you choose you choose to put your time into the real world. Yeah, um, you but, do VR, right? Huh? You, I you I've pick, done it. You Did picked my, up the uh, the girdle one. <laughs> <laughs> you keep going back. So so secretly, Kyle wants to get into the VR sex world. Is what he's saying. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> so there's he wants to get one of those mechanisms that just straps around your waist like a giant pair of underwear and put the goggles on and. You're a lonely fella, but only only in the real world. I'm solid, actually. <laughs> no, no, not that one. I was more along, thinking along the lines of, uh, um, so my son. Dylan, you played the zombies, right? I played the zombie one. Um, I did a boxing game. Um, there's a uh, there's this game where you're in Athens and you're you're in a in the the Colosseum and you're you're fighting gladiators. Um. And there are just more and more of these games coming out that, like, it's it feels what once you're in it, and if you're in a space big enough where you know you're not going to interact with any of the real world, if you're in it for ten minutes, it feels very real. You, I, it was easy for me to get lost in that space. I, I played the zombie game for like two hours. I thought I was in there for twenty minutes. 
you know, my mm-hmm. wife came and got me. She said, are you coming out to the pool or what? We were on vacation in San Diego, and my son's like, you got to try this game. So I flip it on, and I'm, I'm like, walking through the streets, and it's fucking dark, and it's quiet, and then you hear the wind blow, and it it sounds like wind because it's right over your ears. And, and like, uh, uh, you know, you hear a creak, and you look over, and this gate is swinging in the wind, and the, and the creaking moves or sound goes with the gate's movement. And all of a sudden, it's like, and this fucking dude grabs your shoulder, and, and your shit vibrates in your hands and on your head. And it is, it's like, it's anxiety. It made, I had anxiety in this space. I was in a living room of an Airbnb in San Diego, but I was, I was transported to a different place. Yeah. See, what know? they need to do for that is they need to incorporate it into um, actual health and wellness. So they need, like, a, you need to, like, get in, like, a little room like this size mm. where the floor like can move in any direction so you actually have to They've walk got in those room. do they they do have those there's so then a, now it's legit so there's a couple different versions of it so they've got a, a 360 treadmill yeah that will it's and it's like a fabric thing that you can walk in any direction you want to walk and it's actually like walking in um it's it's like you're in the bottom of a really shallow dish okay so it's like got a little bit of an incline and that's what helps drive it but then you go, you can walk in 360, um, and then they've got this one where it's actually you're in a ball. It's just this giant sphere, and you put all the gear on. So when you're walking, the the ball rolls on a set of rollers mm-hmm. underneath, like a mm-hmm. like a hamster wheel kind yep. of thing. Um, and uh, they've also got places where they'll put you. It's like a warehouse, and they'll put you in like they hook you up to all this equipment, and then you've got like a 15 foot radius that you can work in, and the whole place is dark. And you get into this world, and so like they can give you four more four D experience, like wind and yeah, rain and yeah. different feelings while you're in this environment. And I th- I think it would be really fun to do, but I think that like it could be, uh, I think it could mess with people. Yeah. Like, See, the next thing is going to be like you wear a shirt and it's got like little things on it. So like if you get shot, like there's little that's it. They have presses. that. That's Seriously? a haptic suit, yeah. You could put on a suit, and it'll vibrate, and it'll shake, and it, you'll... Man, I'm so out of touch with this virtual life. You know, pretty soon there's going to be places where you can, like, throw axes, a real axe. <laughs> oh, wait, wait, we have that already. We do. Bearboo 608, have you I been there? No. Oh. Yeah, where is it? It's over by, across from the, the right restore. From my, right from where my... Uh, oh, it's by the restore? I thought it was over there by the restore. I thought it was um, right across the street, that little plaza... Um, where the our Airbnb is oh. on Broadway. Like I don't know. A, I thought it was by the restore. I'll have to, we'll have to look. Yeah, we'll, have you been there yet? No, I well, obviously you there. don't know where it is. Yeah, that's a good point. Axe throwing, and is it a bar too? Or is it just axe throwing? I don't know. I if, don't think if that's you, a good mixture. I'm pretty oh, sure that's what they do, though. That's right? it. Oh, it's full on. You got to drink and throw axes. That's how it goes. Yeah, it's yeah. called 608. But there's the one in the Dells. What's that called? Like, like, Viking something or other or whatever. It's some kind of, I think it's some kind of Norse mm. connection. Do you, so, do you think something like that is a trend? Is that is that going to be obsolete in five years? I think it's a trend. I think it's what's what's hot right now. And then especially given we're so connected to the Dells, it's like I think there's a there's a big upswing in, in usage and then it'll come back down because there'll be something new to go do. Mm-hmm. You know, well, well, I hope not for the owner's sake. Well, yeah, I'm just you know, as a business owner, you got to have some serious faith that that's going to be a. Well, think about how many virtual time. golf shops opened up when that came out. 
where you could go to a, a room in the middle of winter and you could hit golf balls against a screen and it would it was like playing golf mm -hmm. you know it's like there were a lot of those when that technology came out but they didn't make it baribu had one like it was only around for a year or like an actual business yeah oh, actual really? business yeah you go in and you'd rent the time slot you play 18 holes with your buddies you could get beer while you're playing and you could i could see that at an actual country club like oh test out new set of clubs or like a golf shop that's where it started or i could see it like if you're loaded and you have a basement and you love golf like mm -hmm. yeah, put up the screen and i'm gonna hit some golf balls there's actually one in uh, madison that's out, out like in a driving range yeah so you're out yeah. in the open i mean i played in the middle of winter last year uh it was pretty fun like you hit into a screen no you hit out into the oh yeah vitens right yeah, it's fight tense. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, where they track your ball and everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that yeah. ball tracking's cool. It is really cool. If it works. I hit too well. It doesn't track it very good. <laughs> you were playing some good golf, huh? Hitting too fast. You get 350-yard bombs. <laughs> I suck so bad at golf, it doesn't really matter. You know, I can't tell if it's accurate or not. But yeah. Like, yeah, it's about what I shoot. So Nice. Well, gentlemen, I don't mean to cut us short today, but I have to go pick up a puppy. It's puppy time. Yeah. So, Mark, great meeting you. Great meeting you. Thanks for coming in. Not Hope problem. this was chill. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So. Appreciate you coming in, man. Really, I, I really do. I know, like, um, you're, you've been on a list of mine to have people come in, and, and it's uh, finally nice to make it happen. And it's it's I think it's really important to get a perspective of people who are doing the job that we talk about a lot. For sure. You know, that was something that was really important to me is that, you know, because we're dealing with kids all the time, and we know that you're dealing with them way more than we are. So it's it's really nice to have a fresh perspective and have an understanding that you can actually share some knowledge of, like, what it's like day to day. And uh, I think that was very enlightening, and I hope that I'm sure people are going to take something away from this. Yeah, man, sports in school. Yeah. Yep. How many people? Three. Three? Three hey, people. All right. Yeah. Well, hello, three people. <laughs> well, it'll be four this week. Actually, probably five. Oh, yeah. So before you we leave, you don't listen, listen because Bill talked about a dead dog. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tell the story. God, Bill, you owe us a listener. So, well, Bill. He um, represents 90% of our listens, so I don't know what we're going to do about that. Uh, Bill's like, oh, I was, on the, I was on the podcast with Ike. And I said, oh, cool. I'd like to listen. Can I have the link? And he sends me the link. And I'm listening, and I'm like, oh, this will be fun. You know, Bill's a fun guy and, uh, you know, does his Scottish voice and all that. And uh, I'm like, oh, that'll be cool. I'll listen to that. And it's like, my dog died. <laughs> my dog was my best friend. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to start crying here. I, I got to get off this. So, I, I, you know, I made it 20 minutes, and, and, I told, and I told Bill, I said, I tried. I really tried. I could not get through that. He's like, come on, Mark. You know, it was great the rest of the show. I'm like, yeah, but I, I had to, like, you know, I was depressed. <laughs> yeah, it that, was it was pretty fun. Uh, that's how we know that all those oh. listens are actually him. Because no one else wants to no listen. No one else. Gotta, can, I, no, I'm going to have to listen back to it. I don't remember the conversation. I, I feel like I need to listen to it. We've talked about it enough after Pickleball and, and at different times where, but I, I, I think I was trying to remember actually how much time we spent talking about Dil, Bill's dog. And I do remember it was, we spent a pretty good chunk, like the first at least 15 minutes, kind of on the subject of dogs and then his dog Ruben and then all, and it was, 
I mean, it was legitimate sad. <laughs> there Man. was so so you know less sad stuff. I guess we'll save the sad stuff to like midway through once we got people hooked. You know, because if you'd have made it maybe forty five minutes, yeah, just skip ahead. Yeah, then it, it gets chill. Then then like yeah, then we can, you can listen to Bill's Scottish voice and talk about whiskey and a bunch yeah. of other things. So we're all over the place in this podcast. And kudos, I don't think you swore once, Mister Landman. You know, I noticed that myself. I'm I like, noticed no one was swearing, and I dropped the f bomb like two or three times. Like, hmm, who's the potty mouth now? I, I hate to disappoint you, Ike, but you did swear a couple times. Okay, okay, well, fine. I, well, maybe I wasn't listening. So, so <laughs> that's the teacher's ear coming out. So <laughs> it was like, if you, if you look at the percentage of swear words I use in all most of our other podcasts, generally when we have a guest, my swearing goes way down because of, yeah, it's. I'm. I know that I'm not just talking to you, and we're talking bullshit about whatever we want to talk about, you know. Um, and and it's like, and I really like the other ones. I don't care if anybody <laughs> listens, but I want people to listen to Mark. It's important to me the subject he was talking on. It's really important. So if if I swear less, and I think maybe people can get through the episode a little. A little well, easier. I apologize, Mark. If you send this to anyone to listen to, and I swear, and that offends them. This is an explicit podcast. And tell them not to listen to the other ones if they don't like swearing. For sure. Yeah, because because it's like I'm I'm terrible. Swearing. Oh, talking about talking about a lot of penises. <laughs> All kinds of stuff that like Bill's if, dead if, dog. If you're, and, uh, yeah, if you're thin skinned, you don't wanna you don't wanna listen to it. We hit a lot of topics. We hit a lot of topics. So, well, I, I tell my kids, I said, you know, I, I swear at home. I swear you know what it comes out, but I said Consider school like a business place. If you were to swear at work, you know, you're, you're probably looking for another job. Yeah. And I said, that's kind of what I do. So, I, I mean, I don't, mind, I don't mind it. Like I said, I know if it comes out in anger and stuff, that's fine. And, and usually all I say is language. And, yep. of course, I have a couple yep. wise actors that go, English, Spanish. <laughs> and I say language. But, uh, you know, I, I tried... You know, again, it's it's part of that going back to that parenting thing. You know, you're just trying to. Yeah, you're learning. Did I ever tell you when I swore here? No. Oh, I had just started. Go ahead. And uh, I had just started, and we were doing a thankathon. And so, what we do around this time of the year, Thanksgiving time, is our members call our donors just to thank them for being supporters. And they were set up in a different room, and I was had another staff with them, and I had worked here for God three months and still getting acclimated to you know the whole dealing with the kids thing and i walked in i'm like oh how's it going and there's like five or six kids in there with the staff I'm like oh really good except for this one lady's like Ugh. and then she hung up on us when we were starting our script i'm like what a bitch i'm like oh shit <laughs> so i called my boss i'm like this just happened she goes it's not that big of a deal the kids laughed and then i talked to every one of the parents for the kids and they're like just so you know i swore in front of your kids this is the story every one of them laughed at me and and I, it was okay but i, I was like oh can't do this again rookie moves yep. rookie rookie moves so all right thank you again mark we really appreciate it You're thank welcome. you everybody for listening yeah um good times man this is a good conversation yeah good quick conversation so you got lucky mark this is only one hour and 50 minutes instead of two hours and 50 minutes yeah this so. is probably one of the shortest. We've had maybe a couple shorter than this, but not many. We've been hitting that two-hour mark. It's been yeah. a good time. So. All right. All right much on. love, everyone. Have a good week, and thanks for tuning in. Peace, y'all. Bye. Bye.